Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome the talents behind the feature films Lightyear and the Bob's Burgers movie. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. I believe our first of 2022. Good lord. Still technically spring, I think, for another couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, we, we haven't uh, broken our seasonal stride. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Steve Henderson. As always, Steve, how the devil are you? I'm very well, Ben. Thank you very much for asking. Yeah, it's still spring. Let's let's hold on to the year. Let's, let's not wish it away. But it's also our 10th year podcasting, Ben. 10 long years. So all the Jubilee celebrations that the Queen recently had just pale in comparison to the the jubilation that our listeners are no doubt celebrating in and the bunting and all that sort of stuff. I'm pretty sure that most of the bunting we saw was for us, yeah? I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever. (laughs) Ten years of loyal service to the mistress of animation, and I'm sure the world is very, very grateful. (laughs) I am a little surprised because there have been a lot of podcasts that have come and gone in that time and yeah we we you know our stick to itiveness i suppose has to be uh has to be admired and some it doesn't have to be but i'm a little surprised by it myself it's been a pretty good decade for animation it's been a lot of interesting twists and turns and progressions and uh developments and whatnot if we were to stop today which uh i don't know we'll see how this one goes i might be too shagged up by the end of it to carry on <laughs> It will have been a pretty, you know, interesting snapshot of the way the industry has evolved. A tenth of a century. And, and as well, I remember when we first did the podcast, we did the first year, and we handed out a CD. <laughs> like, handed out a CD. Which was already a pretty archaic thing to do back then. <laughs> but, you know, we put our heart into it. It was like a little best-of compilation. Yeah. <laughs> 80 solid minutes of, uh, of entertainment. <laughs> That's that's good for a, like a car journey and a half. <laughs> Spoil you if your car's got a CD player or one of those tape players that you plug into your Walkman. I think we maybe put that up at one point. Just yeah. the the well, the contents of the CD. I think that's one of the podcasts of the archive. Yeah, yeah. The squiggly mixtape. I believe there might be some problematic figures among the guest roster as well. So, it, you know, it'll be a product of its time. Yeah. Like uh, those old uh, band Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> but hey, when you cover the length and breadth of an entire industry the way we do with such thoroughness, that'll happen from time to time. Yeah, you're bound to get some wrong-uns in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but amongst the wrong-uns, there's been some absolutely wonderful guests we've uh, interviewed uh you know so many people the great and the good and the uh the movers and the shakers of the animation world and uh really excited to have you know interviewed so many people and it's like i say it's been a, a fantastic snapshot and in terms of like animation podcasts there weren't many when we started back in 2012 <laughs> um uh which which always seems like five years ago to me at a push uh 2012 whenever i see it written down it's like oh yeah it's just yeah no no problem it's only a few years back don't worry about it but no it's a decade ago um and yeah so not want many animation podcasts out there um and like i say so many have have kind of been and gone and been so many fantastic ones emerged in the in the meanwhile uh and uh and through it all we've stood there 
you know, just just weathering it and and and, and cracking on. But uh, but yeah, it's been fantastic. So if you've listened from the beginning, or if you've listened from uh, from a week ago, if this is your first Squiggly podcast, just thank you very much. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, and uh, thanks for being a part of it. Uh, we also love to hear from you, so so get in touch if you like. Get in touch on Twitter. Get in touch via email by the contact form on the website. Uh, and yeah, it'd be nice to hear from our audience, wouldn't it? It's been ten years, and I think we've got like one one Apple Podcast review, and we know that that's not <laughs> reflective of the audience figures because we get those through as well. It's just that we've got a very I'd take that as a satisfied audience, Ben. Would you? Would you take it as like just people who just don't don't feel the need to comment? <laughs> it's not spectacular enough to comment. It's not crap enough to comment. It's adequate. <laughs> I would say that's fair. I, I think, you know, across the various projects I've been involved with, the ones that do, like, serious metrics of, like, people that you couldn't possibly keep track of, they will get the trickle of comments that come in that are usually pretty negative. Yeah. Because people will have something to say if they have something negative to say. Uh, if they're just fine with it, the like-to-comment ratio is usually pretty skewed. A lot more people are liking the content than, you know, saying something uh, shitty about it or just garbled nonsense, as uh, quite often they're very young or just very stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, I think silence is kind of a good option, to you know, of all the, the responses. It doesn't demand much of us. Very occasionally there'll be feedback that has come in that has been critical-ish and that sort of has helped shape the podcast that's been about the size of it and uh yeah it's all worked out rather well i think yeah i quite like the quiet you know i'm that kind of person <laughs> yeah fantastic um, yes i do remember like uh, the one bit of criticism we got about talking politics and then just made us talk more politics so thanks for shaping <laughs> the way that that went <laughs> listener or was it religion i can't remember which one it was i think it might have been our pro lgbt stance that was it yeah. ruffled a feather as like all right bye <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are, lord knows there are other podcasts you could listen to that'll uh that'll scratch you know whatever itch you need to have scratched <laughs> but yeah so yeah uh, 10 years uh hundreds i would say of of guests um you know streams of podcasts uh, you know, different different strands of podcasts and, and things. And then uh, this this month is no different. We've got some fantastic guests this month. Uh, I hope. I don't know. I've not... I've not <laughs> I'm sure they're fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're good. <laughs> but yeah, really excited to be uh, cracking on as we go through to the next decade, Ben. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're locked in now. Oh, yeah. No, I figured... Well, we're a fifth of the way through, <laughs> is how I see it. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. But how's your how's your... Six months since we did the last podcast. How's your how's your recent time in animation been, Ben? Yeah, right. It's uh, a period of transition at the moment. I've been doing some work since sort of the end of last year, sort of more, I guess, creatively involved in a um, IP that's on the grow. And uh, it's you know, as as I kind of alluded to just then, it's it's uh, building a pretty substantial audience. And uh, it has kind of taken me away from what has been my other gig for the last few years. But I've always kind of had, you know, two or three gigs on at any one time. And that doesn't count squiggly. So (laughs) it'll be interesting to maybe kind of, yes, uh, streamline things a bit. Maybe actually just have a job. Uh, (laughs) We shall see. That doesn't happen in animation. What are you talking about? No, it's all frog hopping and panicking and (laughs) hypertension. 
that's the other thing I think about this podcast is how much we inspire the next generation, I'm sure. <laughs> I do remember getting into animation long ago when I was an animator and trying to explain it to um, grandparents or, or family as to like, you know, what, what the what the jobs market was like in animation. And this is, uh, you know, way, way back. And um, and they said, I explained it to them as like, you know, it's, it's not a job for life. You'll go from one job to another job. And they went, oh, like an actor. And you hear that quite a lot. And it's like, yeah, it's all like an actor, but you know, people admire actors. <laughs> like they're often revered and often celebrated, and often like animators are like, "Here's your dark room. Don't come out until it's done." And make the characters act like we want them to act and look like we want them to look, or we're going to send you death threats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the that's the modern uh, modern take. How have things been going with you? How is uh, the world of math? Oh, great. And, uh, the world of uh, relatively new fatherhood and all those bits and pieces intertwined. Those things intertwined. Um, the perfect car crash of blissfulness, uh, uh, let's put it. Math's going really well. We're doing monthly events now at home in Manchester and at Chapel Town Picture House, which have worked out really well. Last month we had uh, uh, Gibliotech, the guys from the Gibliotech podcast, uh, Michael and Jake. They came to give the uh, Z2A of uh, Studio Ghibli, something that they did at uh, Cardiff Animation Festival, uh, which we uh, recently attended, uh, which was nice, wasn't it? We've we've not been uh, together as a as a as a squiggly group for well since the beginning of the pandemic, at the very least, uh, must have been an anacy ages ago. But uh, yeah, it was nice to get together at, at, at Cardiff. But um, it's been wonderful. It's been absolute bliss. He's not old enough yet to uh, watch cartoons, but so I've got all that to come. He's he's watching me watch cartoons for the time being. It's the the potential heartbreak when they start watching cartoons, but they're the crap ones. <laughs> yeah. Which um, you know, I've I've seen secondhand from people uh, who uh, you know work in the industry and feel like they should. There's an obligation to you know pass down a little bit of culture. So that no, poor patrol. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently came back off off holiday, and my uh, my niece and nephew came with us. And yeah, so I went to this, uh, you know, this lovely house in the, in, in, in the Dordogne in France and, um, you know, the sun was shining and that um, I watched more Pokemon <laughs> because they had control of the remote than I think I've ever seen in my life, you know. And uh, yeah, I've learned a lot about the, the modern intake of Pokemon. It felt like being a, um, every time I walked in the room, Pokemon was on. It felt like being an animation lecturer again. Every time you walk in the room, somebody's <laughs> watching Pokemon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Felt just like that. We sat down and watched Spider Verse as well. So you know they've got some good taste as well. So when it comes to the movies, they're very very selective. But when it comes to just glazing over and just ingesting cartoons, uh, Pokemon's as good as anything else, really. I was doing a children's TV jury thing. It would have been a while ago now, but it was my first kind of proper look at the current state of just like international children's animation. Because, you know, I have I have a sort of passing interest in basically shows that friends of mine work on or have created. And outside of that, of course, you don't see all of the other crap. <laughs> and sweet Lord have mercy. Oh, God, the low effort nonsense that has just churned out. And I suppose always has been. But, like, you know, we, we by virtue of, I think, what we do, it, it is often quite filtered. Like, we get a lot of the better stuff coming through there were two good shows 
And they were actually very good. One is called Kirian Lou, and the other, which my niece is on to at the moment, is called Bluey. And it just makes so much of a difference when there's actual, like, you can tell the people who create these shows care about them, and they're putting the effort into them. It actually makes it something that the parents really get a kick out of. And we've seen that, I think, with a few shows in the past, you know, that um, I don't think are going anymore. But yeah, once at a blue moon, you'll get something quite special. But <laughs> you got to wade through some dog shit to get to them. <laughs> I uh, did you see who uh, retweeted us today? It's a nice little signal boost. Oh no, I did not. Uh, Laura Beth uh, did a. Uh, Laura Beth always retweets us. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's a job to retweet as well. It's, it's an obligation. <laughs> Laura Beth interviewed a chap called Sam O'Leary who did a, a sort of pastiche animation sequence or series of sequences, like uh, kind of Charlie says parody thing for the show Inside Number Nine. Anyway, Mr. Reese Shearsmith retweeted that today, Ooh. which is nice. He doesn't retweet us very often. I dare say he might not have ever at all. That's really exciting. It's entirely possible we haven't been ever on Reese Shearsmith's radar <laughs> until today. But uh, there you go. All it took was for him to do some animation in his show. And um, if people uh, it just reminded me, just talking about like stuff that kids watch. People maybe a little older than you or I even, Steve, if you can imagine such a thing as possible, might have grown up on some real shit-your-pants scary animated PSA films, like Charlie Says would be the main one. <laughs> this last episode of Inside Number 9, it's called Wise Owl. The animation in that's really well observed. It's really spot on. And it's also just a very good episode. Like, I, I like the show in general. I'm a big fan of him, uh, the, that team who make the, those shows. Yeah, anyway, there's some information and a little behind-the-scenes interview on uh, how the animation for that was researched and done. And what I find really impressive, I would not... It doesn't really read at all as digital animation, but it was all done in, like, Procreate and After Effects, and it looks properly, like, analog, cut out, you know, exactly the type of process that those old animations looked like Mm. back in the day. So, uh, other than just seething with envious rage that uh, it wasn't Laura or I who got to do animation for Inside Number 9, uh, it's a very uh, pleasant read. <laughs> Fantastic. And there's loads, of, there's loads of tests and things like that on the, on the article as well. So, um, yeah, people want to go over to, uh, to Squiggly and to, to read Sam, uh, the, the interview with Sam by Laura Beth Cowley. Um, absolutely do that. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Reese Shearsmith uh, retweeting us. Uh, it's great. It's always nice when every now and then we'll get a, a retweet from uh, somebody, and then you see that they don't follow us or anything like that, and it's like, oh, that's that's great. Like um, we've we've somehow organically ended up in front of their eyeballs. Um, I think Neil Gaiman was somebody who got retweeted uh, from uh, long ago, um, and then you see the numbers spin up, and uh, it's it's uh, it's really good. And then um, what's her name? Uh- Vivzy Pop. Oh, she yeah. retweets us, and then the fucking site crashes <laughs> <laughs> from the huge, huge sways of, of uh, rabid fan base. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know it's been a yeah, it's been a good little uh, it's been a good time for the site. There's lots of nice uh, little uh, pieces and interviews. There's going to be a big, I think, surge of interviews coming up over Annecy period. As is always the case, Annecy obviously marks the the beginning of the new season. Not formally, but it's just kind of how it has worked, you know, historically. But yeah, there's definitely some good stuff to uh, to check out, which uh, I suppose we could have a little uh, go through. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that it's the the the, the beginning of the animation 
season. You know, lots of people save their uh, save their films for for Annecy, don't they? So it's it's often seen as the the premiere where it all begins, where the calendar begins, and obviously um, it's great to see to uh, you know some of our best best memories and best uh, scoops from Annecy. So um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back there as well because obviously it's been a couple of years of pandemic and um it's it's great to be able to head back to france and to uh to to get back in that cinema and listen to that pop in and have be hit on the back of the head by paper airplanes um no doubt uh, soaked in hand sanitizer at least i hope <laughs> um but yeah annecy's back really exciting to be uh, to be heading back down to uh, to a sleepy little village in france for absolutely no sleep uh so <laughs> Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Is there anything particularly catches your eye this year, Ben, on the uh, the Annecy uh, calendar? What's what's the thing that's screaming out loud at you? Well, as always, it's a really good selection. Uh, there's a good crop of new films from the National Film Board of Canada, for which we have a bunch of coverage going up. We've already put up our interview with Laurie Malapartraverse discussing her new series, Magical Caresses, or Caress Magique. Uh, it's a series of films about masturbation, which will be playing in the TV films in competition screening. Uh, one to look out for. So check out the uh, latest episode of Intimate Animation for more information about that. A couple of other NFB productions that we have coverage going up for. Uh, Terrell Calder has a film called Meneath, The Hidden Island of Ethics. that's playing in the Perspectives competition. It's a really interesting film about reconciling and having your cultural heritage sort of at odds with your religious upbringing. Uh, and so there's an interview with Terrell Calder up on Squiggly soon, if not already. Uh, really interesting stuff there. Really odd, fascinating uh, stop-motion fabrication style to that one. And what I'm sure will be quite anticipated is the return of Amanda Forbes and Wendy Tilby, who made a new film called The Flying Sailor. They've had a couple of Oscar nominations and had some films do really well. They did the film Wildlife and When the Day Breaks, among others. And this film is a really interesting progression on um, their style, and it's kind of based on a true story uh, about a sailor who very nearly dies in an explosion, has a kind of near-death life flashing before one's eyes experience. It's really, really fascinatingly done. So it's a really strong trifecta of projects from the NFB. That one's going to be in the official shorts competition. The NFB are also going to do a studio focus on Tuesday, June 14th at 5.30pm. NFB New Spaces for Storytelling. It's going to be essentially presenting those films with the filmmakers in attendance talking about the production and so forth. There's also going to be an interview on Squiggly with uh, Wendy Tilby and Amanda Forbes talking about The Flying Sailor. So yeah, keep your eyes on Squiggly for what the NFB have been up to and what they're going to be presenting at Annecy. Feature films-wise, there's going to be a few presentations of mainstream features. The indie stuff, of course, is what I'm always more enthusiastic about, and one that I'm really stoked is finally finished and is going to be premiering uh, is My Love Affair with Marriage. This will be just after its uh, world premiere at Tribeca. Uh, the European premiere will be at Annecy. And it's by our pal Signe Bauman. Uh, we talked quite a bit about this one on the last Intimate Animation as well. But just to recap, it's a film about, I guess, the concept of marriage through one young woman's eyes and her experience 
navigating love and marriage with the guidance of musical sirens, and uh, it's done in Signy's, you know, very particular style of uh, combining 2D character animation that's very identifiable with these really nicely made live action and stop motion y backdrops. Um, wonderful production design on this film, and uh, it looks very funny, looks really entertaining. It looks like a big progression from her last film, Rocks in My Pockets, which you know, works very well as an independent feature. It's very watchable and funny, and at the same time, really sort of enlightening about mental health and all sorts of little issues like that. And I expect this film will do the same, but perhaps with a little bit more kind of musical zest to it. So I'm really happy that uh, that'll be playing at Annecy, because she's been doing previews for this for a few years now. And uh, yeah, great to see that finally come together. I'm also really excited about Alberto Vasquez's new film, his stuff is so unique. It's so personal to him. You know, it kind of teeters on the end of like the sort of children's fantasy aesthetic. Uh, but it really, you know, usually isn't. It usually goes into pretty dark places. Um, it can be quite acerbic, very droll, very dry. This film looks very much, uh, that sort of vein. And, um, perhaps again, a little bit of a kind of step forward in terms of production values. So I'm jealous of people who get to see it at Annecy on a big screen because his style re- like really is, it really is sort of emblematic of what, you know, I feel adult animation you know, canon should be. Uh, same with Signy, really. They're both quite different and uh, unique to the directors, but they represent the range of style that's sort of possible, that's really not presented in mainstream animation cinema so much. And uh, as much as certain directors who may have been recent podcast guests uh, like to attest Adult animation is thriving, and it's because of directors like Signy and Alberto and uh, various others. And the difference being that their work, you know, engages people like me a lot more. You know, it's it's far more representative of the diversity of the short film scene. So yeah, it's exciting to see. And I don't think I mentioned, but Alberto's film is called Unicorn Wars. Uh, no, you did not. But that's definitely on my radar. That's something that uh, I saw at a cartoon movie a couple of years ago and it's something that i saw uh, last year at annecy when they did the the making of and boy does that look amazing the um he's called it um apocalypse now meets bambi meets the bible so you have this epic (laughs) teddy bears versus unicorns the color is just so rich and violent and expressive and and exciting um uh, what else will people know Alberto's work from? It's um, uh, Decorado uh, is one of them, isn't it? Uh, that, that short film. Uh, was it? Did he do um, Bird Boy as well? Yeah, which um, is also known as Psychonauts, if I remember right, or Psychonautis. Um, that was what it was called back when I saw it. But I think, yeah, there's a few um, there's a few interesting bits and pieces coming up. Uh, something that really quite irked me. Uh, it's good. We should talk about the good that's coming to Annecy, but we should also talk about the um, the things that I'm slightly griped about is that um, there's a film playing there called Look. And it's not the film itself. I've only seen the trailer and I looked at it and I was like, meh, fair enough. That just looks to me like a, um, well, it just looks to me like the film that was out a few years ago with uh, about the, the Easter Bunny. It just seems to be like a kind of a world based around, yeah, like a holiday or something like that. But what irked me about it was the poster, and the poster for two regards. The first regard being the fact that if you look at this poster, 
and it's a very simple very simple poster it's green it's the color of 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 you know uh, lucky clovers as half a cat because it's walking off screen and on the other half of the screen there's somebody who looks like they're work walking towards the cat in the same direction as the cat and on their foot because you know it's the opposite of luck it's bad luck the person appears to have stepped on some bubble gum and uh, and at the top of the poster the thing that irks me as well as it says by the visionary genius behind uh toy story and cars <laughs> that's what it, that's what it that's what it says uh, at the top of the poster but whatever visionary geniuses are behind it they don't how does is the character walking in reverse how is this bubblegum working on the on the foot you've seen the poster as well we had a good old yeah the gum is stuck to the shoe but the shoe hasn't reached the ground yet, yes. which yeah. is either just an objective mistake or it's possible that there's some gag or concept in the film that involves people having to walk backwards. Maybe there's a lot. No, there thing. is. There, there, there is, because the film looks like it was done 10 years ago. So that's a very backwards step. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the posters are really rushed. Like, Do you remember um, a couple of years ago they did the live action, quote unquote, Lady and the Tramp? And the poster for that is just a shit show. Of yes. like <laughs> the a fundamental misunderstanding of perspective and scale, uh, it's a compositional nightmare for like a to actually look at it and like look at the perspective lines and how the foreground and background relates to one another. The dogs are either fucking gigantic, or the people <laughs> like in the background are teeny tiny. And if you actually sort of like follow the lines, like, you know, where the street is versus where the sky is, where the buildings are, like they, the perspective does not line up whatsoever. Like it's just this <laughs> mishmash of assets that have been really kind of clunkily thrown together to create a poster image. And it's quite surreal. <laughs> the other one was, uh, do you remember the last squiggly math quiz we did where we did the poster round? And I noticed on the, um, the landscape poster for Arthur Christmas, just how like lazily um, mirrored the mountain vista in the background was. <laughs> like they just flipped it at the point where it's the edge of the um, the edge of the poster, just to extend the shot of it. Which, to be fair, I don't know if anyone else noticed until we included it in our squiggly math quiz. But um, that's why you got to have a, a diligent work ethic, because you know, ten, twenty years <laughs> later, squiggly will get you. You might think you'll get away with it, but we always catch up with you with a with a dogged, determined cops of the animation world. Your crimes will not go unchallenged. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so look's got a work in progress. So hopefully um, the progress will be that they sort the posters out. Uh, anything else? <laughs> anything else uh, on... Uh, uh, coming on uh, uh, on Annecy, I've seen that they've got a work in progress in My Father's Dragon, which looks... Uh, pretty beautiful as well that's uh, Nora Toomey from uh, Cartoon Saloons uh, doing that for Netflix yeah one of the other things on on as well is a, a work in progress of the inventor uh, which uh, we showed at math 2020 we had uh, Jim Copper Bianco the director and this is something that's coming um, uh, coming pretty soon uh, well I think it's 2024 or something like that um, and uh, really exciting to uh, to see so this is a a stop motion film about uh, Leonardo da Vinci uh, and it's based on I don't know if you remember the film years ago and it was just called Leonardo and it was a 2D animated film and it was 
it was about Leonardo da Vinci and it was about his love of flight and, and things. It was done by uh, Jim uh, Copperbianco, who was a Pixar storyboard artist. I think he storyboarded on um, uh, on loads of things. And I think he, he won an Oscar for Ratatouille or was nominated for, for writing Ratatouille, uh, part of the story uh, team on Ratatouille. Um, but yeah, this film has got um, uh, Stephen Fry, it's Daisy Ridley, um, uh, loads of fantastic uh, names attached to it. But uh, what I've seen so far, it looks really promising. And I think Tom Moore from Cartoon Saloon is actually doing some of the 2D segments of the film. So it's packed full of uh, of, of amazing talent, uh, you know, amazing kind of uh, European talent as well. It's been made in, um, uh, made in Europe. Uh, as as well as uh, Ireland and the U- uh, USA and things like that. So um, yeah, loads of uh, loads of exciting stuff. I think it's Folioscope um, who are doing uh, who are doing a lot of the work, the work uh, over in over in Europe. So as you say, looking at the the track record there, there's lots to look forward to. Other highlights for me, kind of looking through the short film official selection. There's a bunch of stuff I haven't seen yet, but the directors are people that you know I really like. So. I feel like they're going to be, you know, satisfying. It's always just nice to see people, you know, keeping at it. Uh, really looking forward to seeing Drone by Sean Buckaloo. He's been a previous guest. He's just a really objectively strong animator. Like, what he's able to achieve on his own, if you look at his previous work, is quite astonishing. Like, there's so much thought that goes into the layout and how the characters are kind of interacting with one another. I expect we'll see that kind of thing at play in Drone as well. Other familiar names, Tal Cantor is someone whose work I follow. Um, this new film, Letter to a Pig, looks really nice, just from the still alone. It's a really lovely uh, image, and uh, I believe it's about uh, a Holocaust survivor. Shpela Kedez has a new film, Steakhouse. She has a completely spotless track record as far as making incredible short films. Uh, this one kind of feels a bit like her like, Night Drive film, uh, Nighthawk it was called. And uh, it looks like it's maybe a sort of similar process or perhaps uh, adapted from that process, which was kind of a multi-plane thing. And it looks to be more in line with some of her darker work, which uh, she does dark films really well. They're also often quite thoughtful. She's generally a very reliable filmmaker as far as making uh, really interesting work. As is Elizabeth Hobbs. New film is called The Debutante. Again, like she's very prolific and more often than not makes very, very watchable, interesting, engaging film work. So another safe bet there is a film to uh, pencil in. Someone I haven't heard from in years, uh, Joseph Pierce has a new film. It's called Scale. And his stuff like goes back to right when I was like starting with Squiggly or possibly even when I was studying, he did stuff like Family Portrait and Stand Up and this really interesting kind of embellished rotoscope style. I assume he's been kind of busy with more commercial stuff in the interim, but it's cool to see that he is doing more short film work. So that's one I'll definitely look out for too. Also alongside uh, Caras Magic in the uh, TV films and competition category, I did note that uh, Isabel Favez has done a new film. It's called Giuseppe. And she's another director who I always make a point of checking out her work because there's just something really charming and watchable about pretty much everything she does. Episode of Human Resources, we were talking a bit about that show in Intimate Animation. Much like its predecessor, Big Mouth, kind of a divisive show, but uh, certainly has some strong moments. Robin Robin, of course, the Arbin film we had on the podcast a few months ago by Dan O'Jari and Mikey Please. Uh, Netflix special, another Netflix special also, which I did some coverage on earlier in the year, is The House. 
Probably one of the best animations I've actually seen on Netflix since getting Netflix. Uh, this really kind of goes back to what I was saying about like what it is about adult animation I specifically engage with. It's stuff like this. It's stuff that's a little out of left field, not necessarily doesn't spell things out for you. It doesn't have to populate its stories with dancing naked robot ladies. It's just, you know, honest visions from filmmakers who have an established track record of making genuinely interesting work. And as I think we've seen from putting up social media posts about it, like the response to this series is is really a cut above the usual sort of engagement we tend to get when we post up coverage. People really have an appetite for what this team have come up with. And uh, it's, yeah, it's three episodes. The first one directed by uh, Emma Desquaif and Mark James Rolls. Uh, second one, Nikki Lindroth von Barr. And the third one, Paloma Baeza. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It's so good. You got to check it out. And if you're at Annecy, once again, I'm very, very jealous that uh, you get to see it on a big screen because uh, that will be an experience. So another great year for, uh, for Annecy. The opening night film as well, obviously we should mention this is Minions, The Rise of Gru. <laughs> obviously that means people will be running up to me asking for me for my autograph because uh, I am Gru. That's what I look like. Uh, one of the other films that's playing there as well, uh, and this might be a good segue into an interview, is Lightyear. The origin story of uh, of Buzz Lightyear. So yeah, what do you know about Buzz Lightyear? What do you know about Lightyear? So I'm I'm assuming it's like a kind of meta Inception-y in-universe story within a story, like the TV show or the movie series that the Buzz Lightyear toy that we see in Toy Story comes from. Is that about right? Yep. Basically, this is the film that apparently uh, Andy from Toy Story saw which made him want a Buzz Lightyear. And the Buzz Lightyear toys are based on this film. However, in our universe, they are now making toys of Buzz Lightyear that look nothing like the original Buzz Lightyear toys. And they look more like this more refined Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> that's, that's... But it's, it's an origin story. It's something of an origin story for Buzz Lightyear. That's what the film itself is. So it's how he became Buzz Lightyear. So, you know, forget everything that you think you know about Buzz Lightyear. This is the actual Buzz Lightyear. Forget the 25 years worth of investment you've had in the characters, Ben. Forget forget caring about the fact that, you know, this you've followed this character through this journey with this cowboy and all that sort of stuff. That's that's just put that in the bin. It doesn't matter. Um because this is the actual Buzz Lightyear story. Um so yeah, uh, view this as the film equivalent to Woody's Roundup. I suppose is uh, is the is the equivalent, uh, and I've seen the first half hour of the film. Uh, they've, they sent us half an hour of the film. It's not that I walked out after half an hour. Uh, it's just one of the things that they do for press. Um, yeah, and it's it's a very interesting piece of work, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the full film comes together. Um, but from the half an hour, it was it was full of promise, and it was full of kind of uh, intrigue and stuff. It's not. Um, I can't say that I was as hooked as I was with uh, Turning Red, uh, because Turning Red was an absolute, an absolute firebrand. Just absolutely loved it. It was just absolutely amazing. I'll just keep saying absolutely because it was absolutely brilliant. But um, you know, Lightyear has all the kind of excitement of a, of a typical space adventure. Uh, it's got great big dollops of sci-fi. It's really well designed. It's really well put together. Um, and 
it's story-wise, it's it keeps you it keeps you on the edge of your seat. You want to know what's going to happen next. You want to know what's what's going to what's going to take place. And yes, there are those kind of Toy Story nods as you go through. Not as many as you would kind of expect. So don't expect uh, a reference to Woody. Don't expect a reference to Rex or to Ham or to any of these characters. But you'll see Buzz will will talk into his. Um, his wrist communicator, uh, he'll he'll say stuff that he 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 may well have said uh, as a toy, um, and there are full of little you know it's full of nods like that. So you could sit there and play the Easter egg game and listen for you know winces like oh we're trying to we're trying to uh, figure out crystallic fusion crystallic fusion he said crystallic fusion in Toy Story and then halfway through Toy Story two. Oh, let's. There appears to be no sign of intelligent life anyway. There appears to be no sign of intelligence. He said that in the first Toy Story film. So there might be a little bit, of, a little bit of excitement for the Toy Story fans. And interest, interesting as well. He's got this. Uh, he's got this robot cat as well, uh, which is uh, a, a, a kind of a sidekick in the film. And this, this robot cat obviously is as as gave. Andy in the original Toy Story couldn't give a fucking shit about this robot cat because he's not bought any of the toys. <laughs> they didn't know. Then back in 1995, he didn't care. He did, doesn't get a look in this robot cat. Uh, but for this film, for the 2022 version, no doubt it will, the shelves will be groaning with merchandise for for Socks the cat, which is uh, uh, voiced by um, is it Peter Son, who is a, a a, a director at Pixar. I think he directed The Good Dinosaur, uh, but he's also voiced a few uh, characters uh, along the way as well. Uh, you'll you'll be familiar with the voice, I'm sure. Uh, uh, Pixar fan, fans will be as well. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, so. Yeah, it's lots to look forward to if you're a uh, if you're a you know a Pixar f- uh, and uh, Toy Story fan. It'll help you uh, round off your. Uh, things to watch kind of <laughs> get the whole story so yeah well perhaps most importantly of all does this iteration of Lightyear boast the uh, vocal stylings of lovable home improver slash santa claus tim allen no it doesn't uh they they have taken tim allen and they've swapped it for chris evans who uh is obviously cap- known as captain america um uh, not the host of TFI Friday. It's uh, yeah. So Chris Evans from um, uh, it's uh, so yeah. Chris Evans is now is now the voice of uh, this kind of young Buzz Lightyear. So yeah, Tim Allen was just the voice of the toy Ben. Ah uh, yeah. Well, they do that. We've been going through some old home movies to digitize for Laura's grandfather. And he has quite a lot of footage of her, like, as a kid and her family and stuff. And that's quite sweet seeing, you know, old home movies and whatnot. Among the the little vignettes is uh, Laura showing off her Woody from Toy Story 1 doll, which um, I believe she still has. And uh, she maintains is the only Woody doll ever manufactured that actually properly looks like Woody from the film. Like, they've never got it right since. Uh, Anyway, she's giving a little product demo for the camera and she's pulling his uh, little butt string famous woody catchphrases coming out of the little tinny speaker you know there's a snake in my boot etc not tom hanks (laughs) doing that voice (laughs) which is because they could have just taken the clip from the film 
but no, I guess there must have been some contractual thing where so, and it's not even I because I think didn't like Tom Hanks's brother do yes merch and stuff now in video games. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I don't think it's even him. It's just some guy, you know, going, "I'm a rootin' tootin' cowboy." I guess the, <laughs> you already bought the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those things always make me think of the the in in the Simpsons. When Krusty uh, comes in to record the, <laughs> record the, yeah, record the the lines for his uh, his doll. Well, uh, I believe we uh, we have some. Well, we've put up some stuff already uh, about light here. Uh, various personnel involved in bringing it to life. Uh, but I believe for this podcast, we have an interview with the director. Yeah, so if you want to take a little look back, uh, one of our, our newer writers, Ryan Gar, has been. Um, uh, he wrote a fantastic article called uh, Can Lightyear Avoid Overfamiliarity? Uh, where we talk to uh, the tailor in and simulation supervisor, we talk to director of photography, and we talk to the sets art director. Uh, so loads of teams, loads of, uh, of conversations there. And they're all there as videos as well. So you can watch the videos on, uh, on our YouTube channel uh, or in the article that I just mentioned as well. Yeah, so Ryan Gout talked to Angus McLean, the director of Lightyear, and Galen Sussman, the producer of the film. Well, that's handy, because uh, interviews with producers and directors are exactly what we're all about here on the Squiggly Animation podcast. So shall we hand it over to them, and they can enlighten us a little bit on what to expect from Lightyear. Let's do that. I'm Ryan Gore, and I'm from Squiggly Animation Magazine, and we are here with Angus McLean and Galen Sussman, the respective director, screenwriter, and producer of Pixar's Lightyear. How are you both? Very good, thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So, Galen, you have spent years and pretty much your entire career at Pixar developing the character of Buzz in the Toy Story movies, right? So how did it feel, kind of going back to his origin, did it feel like starting from scratch with this character? Um. Well, not, not starting from scratch. I mean, the great thing is that, that people have a certain amount of expectation of who Buzz is, and so we could really play with that and play off of that, you know, some knowledge of who Buzz is. But yeah, getting to invent that whole backstory for such an aspirational character is really a lot of fun. <laughs> and Angus, um, just as in the original Toy Story, you have Buzz crash landing on a strange planet with him noticing the lack of intelligent life. So in the screenplay, were there iterations of it where they were quite heavy on the Toy Story references that you had to rein back on? Or were you quite adamant of like not letting that stuff in? I think we had a list of things that we thought we wanted to have in the film. Most notably, Buzz and Zerg have to face off. We wanted to see what the elevator fight or the video game fight in Toy Story 2 would look like in the film and make sure that we had the requisite um, upgrade of that scene. And then there were these lines that we needed to pay off. I don't feel like we ever did too much of it, but I did feel like there were definite guardrails for what the audience would expect from the film. We would try, since you need to have Buzz change over the course of the film, we had earlier versions of the film where uh, Jason Headley and I, the screenwriter, we would work where we had Buzz just being a little, you, you, could, you could break the character really easily by making him, if he made too many mistakes, it was too, um, too, uh, too unsuccessful. Like his, his, his lack of success had to come from his own steadfast belief in himself and his overzealousness of, his, of, of trying to think he could do it on his own. If it seemed like he was incompetent, that was not helpful to the character. The audience grew impatient with him. You couldn't have him gain confidence 
you had to you had to have and have confidence, but gain understanding. And that was an interesting uh, journey of, uh, from a writing perspective. We also found that it was more it was useful to have those references early to help the audience acclimate to who our buzz is. Yeah. And then we could, you know, just sprinkle them. Like a musical, there's not a lot of music. There's not a lot of songs in the last half of the film. By then, you're already, you're already in. Although there's not as many songs in this film. <laughs> yeah, you don't want the audience just doing the Leonardo DiCaprio point at the screen the whole time the movie's exactly. on. Right? You want them to be in the movie. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, you have Buzz kind of in the mold of that 80s action hero, and you, you cut him down a lot by loading him up with quite a lot of guilt as well. So uh, where did the idea come from for that guilt? And like you were saying before, was it quite a precarious balance to how much to weigh on his shoulders throughout the movie? We needed to have something that would keep him going on those missions, even though it was so detrimental to his mental health. So we needed to have a plausible reason why he would keep making this, like he'd keep trying and not give up. He needed to be something personal that he himself caused uh, and, a, and a mistake that would uh, drive him to do what he did getting into the movie. The movie used to begin with just the first mission, but we ended up adding the, the opening just to show him as a space ranger to, again, to acclimate the, the audience to, to get the buzz that they were expecting and then twist it uh, a bit. But that mistake was really to drive his, his, his whole, for it to be his drive the whole time. And then it was so interesting to find it so relatable. I mean, I think we've all had experiences of, you know, what if I had done this? What if I, you know, and then you, you can lose yourself to the what if and, and mm. miss the great opportunity that is your life right now. Yeah, life's a delicate thing. You know, you, you eat the one little mistake and suddenly you've crash landed your whole civilization on an alien planet. It's happened, it's happened to all of us, you know, that, <laughs> that typical Pixar relatability. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and, um, who, and who hasn't? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, Caitlin, so Buzz becomes like a historic figure within the movie. And I thought that was so interesting because it kind of mirrors his stature in pop culture in real life. So uh, how important was it to kind of develop a mythology around Buzz Lightyear? Um, I think it, it was important to um, make sure that we retain that aspirational aspects of Buzz, right? I think it, that, that it was sort of more important than than a mythology per se, mm. uh, in that, you know, again, nobody, nobody wants to see an incompetent Buzz, right? Everybody, people have this attachment to who Buzz is. And so you want to keep that, um, that competence, that aspirational character, and then say, okay, if this aspirational character, what gets thrown at him that makes him question, that makes him, you know, that challenges him as a person. And that's, that was more what we were trying to focus on. But I think there's a larger, that, that is true. And I think there's something funny to me about he's being replaced by a defensive shield. Like the, the, the technology is ultimately, like he had a noble Absolutely. aspirational pursuit and he just, it just didn't happen. And so instead we're going to retreat and hide and just take the brunt of, of the environmental impact of our, of our life. And so the idea of him being forgotten about or being relegated as, as, a, as a fossil was something that was really interesting to do. 
No, yeah, it's definitely one of my favourite aspects of, of the movie so far. Um, Angus, having also worked on Wally, which I'd like to say is like on the, the Kubrick end of the sci-fi spectrum, to doing something that's like on the Lucas end of the sci-fi spectrum. Yes. Yes. Were there any things that you kind of took from that previous sci-fi experience into this one, or was it kind of like a clean break? Uh, that's a really, that's, that's a really great question. I think a lot of, well, a lot of the personnel, I mean, I was working again with Andrew Stanton, who was the executive producer on the film. Like he and I worked very closely on that film and we, we uh, co-directed, I co-directed on, on Dory. Uh, so from the, he had a well of sci-fi that was a little different than mine, just because of, there's a few years age difference between us. And so my well, like as much as he loves Star Wars, that's not, I, that was the first movie I saw. And so in the theater. And so that, no, well, there wasn't video. So of course it was the first movie I saw. Anyway, the point of it is um, we just had different uh, things that really had an impact on us. Uh, and, you know, because of that, like Wally represents his well of movies um, that, that, it, that it's not just sci-fi, you know, it, 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 it ranges. Uh, so it's, this, well, that's an exploration of all the movies he likes this representation like a reflection of all the movies that I'm interested in. Um, additionally, we had a lot of personnel that are on the film and we're, we're excited about doing different things on this film too. So there were things that we learned on that film and then, and then we just focused on different aspects. Genre-wise, they're quite different um, as far as what the, that's more of a love story set in space or where this one is more of a sci-fi action year. Right. Ah, fair enough. And uh, one last thing, I think, Galen, I don't think people would answer this question because I think you've worked on every single Pixar movie. But Angus, is there one Pixar movie that you had no involvement in that you wish you did? Inside Out. Yeah. Yeah, I worked on Inside Out. Yeah, neither did I. Oh, wow. That's a great answer. <laughs> I would have liked it in Toy Story, but then I would be older. Yeah. Technically. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I worked on the Bugs Life, but I missed Toy Story. <laughs> So I don't have the bragging rights of being slightly older. It's not bragging but rights. But at this point, it's Trust like me, it's 25 years versus 30 years. It doesn't sound that, it's like the eight, that's not that big difference. But <laughs> the beginning, it was like, big ooh, five more years. But now it's not, now it's like they just put us in the, in the, the olds. In the olds. The yeah, category. Definitely. <laughs> All right, Angus McLean and Kate Sussman, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much for speaking to Squiggy today, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Ryan Gore from Squiggly talking to Angus McLean and Galen Sussman from Pixar's Lightyear, which uh, is coming out on June the 17th. So you better see it then. And you can uh, hear a bit more from various other people involved with Lightyear if you check out his article, Fran Kalal, Jeremy Lasky and Greg Peltz, I believe. So yeah, get a nice rounded view of what to expect there. Looks like good fun. Uh, what else has been going on in the world of film and animation and everything else, Ben? Well, another Disney film, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess it's Disney. Bob's Burgers uh, finally made itself a film. Mm. No, it's on Disney. It's technically a Fox property. I, yes. It's all the same thing now, isn't it? They're all clumped together like some big hulking brute. <laughs> and yeah, it's sort of, I don't know if you'd call it overdue. There was no reason to not make a Bob's Burgers movie, but at the same time, was the world clamoring for one? Everyone, I think Bob's Burgers is one of those properties where everyone is just kind of happy it's around. Mm. You know, it's quite pleasant and it's very easy to watch and, you know, have on in the background or just watch and bait. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty unobtrusive and um, not too demanding. 
but uh, one of those things that I can see, like the people who like it, really like it. You know, it's and it's not obnoxious like certain other shows that tend to be quite popular, like adult sitcoms and things like that. It has this very kind of um, not unscripted, but there's this kind of naturalism to the character performances that isn't that rare to see in animation sitcoms now, but. It's sort of origins when you look at uh, other stuff that the creator Lauren Bouchard put together, stuff like uh, home movies. Mm. That at the time was very different from what was going on in animated TV shows, the way the dialogue in particular and the way the characters kind of conversed with each other and interacted with one another. It, there would be, I think, a lot, of, a lot more kind of by way of ad-libbing and things like that. And yeah, there wasn't a ton of that going around at the time this would have been like the late 90s i think and there was stuff like dr cats i suppose would be the only other one that immediately springs to mind the other stuff that was kind of big back then would have been stuff like south park which you know was very very scripted and then you know the mainstays like the simpsons was you know at the height of its powers and uh, i think family guy was just kind of starting uh home movies i always really enjoyed it was a real for the same reason i think a lot of people really enjoyed bob's burgers it was just this kind of comfort that came from it mm. and you know the um the character that i think a lot of people remember the most from that show would be coach mcguck who is um played by h john benjamin who is bob and bob's burgers not a hugely dissimilar character coach mcguck was more grumpy but bob has a very similar kind of disposition and you know h john benjamin i don't think is known for his range uh, <laughs> as a performer <laughs> And that, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, he does play, you know, there are other characters that he plays in Bob's Burgers, but it's like, you can tell it's him. But whenever he is playing like a main character, Archer, I suppose, would be another one. If you put Archer and Bob Belcher and Coach McGuck, like, to, on tape, you know, and just played the audio to someone, it would take them a minute to differentiate who it is exactly they're, they're <laughs> listening to. Um, but I think it's because he just has one of those voices. They played on that on an Archer episode. I used to, I loved Archer. I used to watch quite a lot of it. And, um, mm. There was one episode where they were in kind of hiding and Archer was wearing a mustache and he was he was running a burger joint and that was it. It was <laughs> it was it was just a kind of a, a real blatant nod to that kind of as you were just saying, the the fact that he can only really do one voice. It's like when um uh Yardley Smith does anything other than Lisa Simpson in The Simpsons, you can just, yeah. <laughs> tell, you can just tell it's uh I think there was also a, a Bob's burgers where he has to like coach the kids soccer team nice. and so that's full of references to home movies like all the kids suddenly look like the characters from home movies <laughs> you know other shows that lauren bouchard has done you'd see the daughter of the devil which again i think had h john benjamin i think he played the devil uh, and eugene merman as a nun eugene merman who plays gene in bob's burgers i met once when i was in new york and uh, had a very nice interaction with him where i was actually going to see him do a sh what i had thought was him doing a stand-up gig he was actually introducing a band so it was kind of like the warm-up act for this indie band which was a little odd but you know it was still a fun night but i arrive at this bar and uh, i'm trying to like get a table and the woman who works at the uh, behind the bar won't let me and my friends sit at this table it wasn't reserved or anything it's just like though no the people who are watching the show don't get to sit there and Eugene merman who was just sort of like at the bar around that point is just like why don't you just let him sit there yeah, <laughs> and I think because he was the talent, uh, she yielded and let us sit at the the table where we got a nice view of the stage. So yeah, I've, I have a fond I have fond memories of of him whenever I uh, I see him in Bob's Burgers or wherever. 
He has some great stand-up records as well. They're very surreal. But yeah, he's great. He's great in the show. I mean, the movie I've seen, it's just come out in cinemas in the UK. It's, you know, it's, it's doing the cinema thing before streaming, which is, you know, not as common as one would hope it would be. Um, you know, in many respects, it's like a lot of sh- movies based on TV shows. It does kind of play like one long episode of the show. Mm. There is some, I suppose, extra peril thrown in that uh, you wouldn't... There's one scene in it that's actually kind of like anxiety-inducing. doesn't take up a big chunk of the film, but there's actual, like, you know, a, a danger element that actually taps into a sort of real fear kind of stuff. It's like, well, that's not something you'd expect to see in this universe, mm. necessarily. But, you know, done uh, very much in keeping with the style of everything, of that universe and of those characters very musical uh, there's a lot more kind of effort i suppose that's gone into fleshing out the musical side of it the bob's burgers show has a lot of music in it but it's usually very kind of short form little 30 second things little things that play out over the credits and whatnot so this i think they got to flex those muscles a bit more uh, so they clearly had fun with that but it doesn't make huge strides to present the animation in a different way right um than it is in the show like it's lit a bit more elaborately and perhaps i suppose the backgrounds might be a bit more detailed there's probably a lot more stuff going on that i'm i'm you know glossing over but it doesn't feel like as opposed to say the when the simpsons movie came out it was visually quite starkly different to what the show was looking like back then yeah because they had Not to so go change now, format didn't they so they were doing like they're yeah. still doing like four three and then they had to go into like 16.9 or widescreen and and so they had to change up the color palette and they had to change you know putting shadows on the characters ben yeah it looks a million dollars a lot more actual sort of cinematography approaches yeah. to it which um yeah i think eventually over time because it became a lot easier to just do in television production and you know animation software the Simpsons kind of would do more of that in the actual show from the, the bits and bobs that I've seen. Uh, and I think Bob's Burgers, you know, by virtue of being a relatively new show, as in, you know, the last 15 years, um, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't take that many seasons before it kind of started to look quite detailed and slick. And um, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's a Bob's Burgers movie. If you like Bob's Burgers, you're going to love the movie. Uh, it's being, I think, received very well critically. So it's nice to see, you know. Um, I, I was I was delighted to see uh, on the list of uh, of interviews. I know there's a written up version of this interview as well. If people uh, would rather read it uh, than hear it, or do both. Um, uh, Bernard Derriman is on there as well. Um, and Bernard Derriman's one of the um, uh, well, something of a when I first started off in kind of as a as a, uh, a student animator he's one of the um oh when i was oh, i think i was maybe doing my ma at the time i was i was kind of looking for for other animators and uh he was a he was a flash animator at the time that everybody was getting into flash animation and uh discovering all these different um uh different animators um and uh he he did a series called arge and poopy which are with arge barker from um uh, was it Flight of the Concords? I think he was. Is it Dave in Flight of the Concords? All right. Um, uh, and uh, he uh, he was he was a, an animator at. Uh, I think it was Walt Disney used to do the director DVD sequels, so they used to do like you know Cinderella three and stuff like that, <laughs> and they were always done in Sydney, so it's only like um, Sydney, Australia, and they closed the studio, um, and. Uh, 
And then obviously all these Australian animators were out of work and some of them end up just doing stuff on, well, obviously working, but obviously doing stuff on Flash for themselves as well. Um, and Bernard Derriman ended up being one of those. He did a, uh, a music video called Everybody Else Has Had More Sex Than Me, which oh, yeah. is just features rabbits, like experiment <laughs> rabbits. And it's just brilliant animation for like, you know, for at the time was such a limited program um, in, in terms of what you could achieve with it. And um, uh, I think at the same time, it was, it was Adam Phillips as well. He used to do Bitey of Brackenwood and... Uh, all these, you know, fantastic animators were coming out of of, uh, of 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 Sydney with these amazing little short films. Um, but yeah, I remember all that work fondly, and it's great to see uh, his kind of career continue and and uh, you know get right the way through to uh, uh, you know Bob's Burgers and features and things like that. So yeah, brilliant. And he's been a major part of the uh, Bob's Burgers. Uh, story hasn't he for for years he's been the supervising director of the show um uh, and uh yeah now he's now he's co-directing on the uh on with the with the creator uh lauren bouchard so uh yeah great to see uh bernard's name pop up there as well yeah it's a nice thing with this show and like the personnel some other sort of things like with that chap who um just got in touch uh with like fan art essentially or fan animation and they were like yeah we'll give you a job and he works on it now uh what's his name he talked at uh, cardiff the other week and he's he's done stuff with them before yeah he just on a whim was able to just get a gig on this show that he loved and i just i love that they're kind of receptive to that because lord knows i mean you know when a show does well and it has a fandom you know you're gonna get a deluge of people sending you their terrible fan art when they actually sort of acknowledge that, you know, the work is good um, and there's potential there and it would benefit their show to actually bring this person on board. Uh, yeah, that's a really nice thing. I think his name's Simon Chong. You know, it's a nice bunch of people making this uh, making this series. Yeah, who's who's going to know the, uh, the show better than the fans? And who's going to offer more enthusiasm in a role than a fan, you know? Well, I mean, you know, a fan with talent is uh, the ideal situation. That's true. I that's, mean, yeah, fan, they're probably true. fans who think they know what characters should do <laughs> and what they're made. And, uh, you know, hey. Uh, I mean, a lot of fans think that characters should just be having sex with one another. <laughs> As, you know, and there, there's you know, something to that. I mean, the South Park guys really kind of embrace that, where there was a whole thing in their fandom where these people were shipping two completely random characters in, like, sort of manga fan art. Uh, of just these yeah. two random sc- not even one of the four main kids there's Tweak and Craig just making out or like very <laughs> sensually like walking hand in hand and I know they saw that that was happening in their fandom and they incorporated it into the show <laughs> I love that I think that's uh, and it's one of the things in the video game you have like a side quest where you have to collect yaoi fan art of, of Tweak and Craig <laughs> <laughs> but then and then sometimes you know the fandoms uh like going back to what we were saying before just wish death on the creators if uh <laughs> it doesn't go their way so you know it's a mix of wholesome and uh, a friend of mine i won't i won't say too much about it it's not my, really my story to tell but a, a, a good friend of mine is writing for a an animated tv series of a well-known property which is based on a popular toy line from the 1980s uh, and that has a particularly ardent fan base of uh-huh. uh, uh, who, who absolutely delight in 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 the show, but will 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 have nothing 
they've got a lot to say about the show. Let's just say that they've got mm. you know they will send you their own. They will send you the writer their own version of what the show could be and what the characters should be doing. And it is deeply personal stuff. It is mm. really personal stuff that they decide to incorporate into into these characters. Uh, and the show is not. Let's say the show is not really designed for forty five year old men. It just finds itself <laughs> embraced, being watched by, embraced heavily by forty five year old men. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a bizarre world where. Um, where this particular show is, uh, how this particular show is celebrated. Um, it's a yeah. funny old thing, like when people, because so I guess that these are men who grew up on the original toy line, played with the toys. Uh, who knows? Or, or who, is, <laughs> is it a recent toy line, or is it like the eighties? It's it's the eighties, but obviously right. it's something that's that's continued. Let's, I mean, let's just say each to their own. Horses for courses. Let's leave it no. at that. Then it's like, yeah, let's. <laughs> I'm surprised that's endured because that was a thing like <laughs> 10, 20 years ago, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, like, is it, a, is it a new generation or are they just like, you know, the old school just the new, sticking a with new it? Gen- a new generation. <laughs> Sweet. So, yeah, you're not, a real, you're not a real fan of anything until you've, uh, you know, created your own fan art. It's a, fu- it's a funny thing with, like, because I, I do think back on the stuff that really had me in its clutches as a kid. And. You know, there's a nice thing about, like, sort of revisiting it in a certain way, but very little of it you can actually engage with as entertainment, like, yeah. uh, past a certain point. And if they reboot it, you'd maybe kind of, like, look, have a look at it, but I don't know, it's, it's, it feels very... Because it's not the thing that you, you engage with, really. It's a different version of it, you know? Mm. I don't really kind of, like, involve myself heavily in fandoms. Probably the one that would be, like, by virtue of having seen more than, like, two or three films, would probably be, like, Batman, because I quite liked the old films, and I quite liked the now-quite-old films, but, you know, the Heath Ledger era, and I liked that Joker film, you know, but, like, so much... And the Lego Batman. I've, I've seen, that I've probably, at least seven good Batman films. Now, yeah. to, to like seven films of one franchise, you'd think that would make you a super fan, yeah, you know, but I'm I'm really not in the grand scheme of like what it is. To, it's so fucking hard to be a Batman fan. They make <laughs> new Batman films every five fucking seconds. Yeah, like how how do you keep track? And I, I'm a lot of them are kind of dog shit. Like I remember back when I was a kid, there were the bad Batman films. It was the Arnold Schwarzenegger one and the Jim Carrey one. Like they were considered the bad <laughs> films. But now they're probably quite high on the leaderboard as far as, you know, like the the length and breadth, the wealth of shitty Batman films that must be out there. You know, I never really was into Star Wars, but I remember the bad Star Wars films were the three new ones and the good ones were the three old ones. That, that was, everyone knew that. Yeah. Now how many Star Wars films are there? 80? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and from what I understand, the three good ones are still the only good ones. <laughs> I, remember, I remember naively when Disney bought bought Star Wars. I remember thinking, why have they spent so much money on Star Wars? And it never crossed my mind that they'd make a million more Star Wars films. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's why they bought Star Wars, to make more Star Wars films. Oh. <laughs> and TV series and everything else. I remember um, at one point, whenever this film would have come out, would be, I guess, around the, t- uh, the time we had this conversation. I remember you being aghast that uh, I hadn't seen... Uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. 
<laughs> because at some point early on in, in the podcast, I think I mentioned that I had, like the many millions of children my age in the 80s, enjoyed the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And that somehow transformed into I was obsessed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But I think that's probably a prime example of one of those ones that just gets so buried in the landslide of its iterations that I couldn't be a fan of Ninja Turtles if I tried. Yeah. I can barely handle being a fan of the shows I like (laughs) that make like 10 episodes a year. And yet, like you say, like people will, will get so attached to these properties and it becomes, like you say, something very personal to them. Yeah, you can no longer pick stuff up and put stuff down as well because mm. this is th- and this is this this is no longer an animation podcast. This is just like people pushing forty griping. This is like you know it's no longer it's not just the telly anymore. You know, but but, but it's just like you can't get involved in it because like even if you wanted to get into Batman, you'd be like well, at the end of the film, why have they mentioned another character from a different franchise? Why have they mentioned Hawkman? Am I going to have to now watch the Hawkman movie? I don't know if they do mention Hawkman in the new movie. They probably mentioned the Flash or something like that. But I'm going to now have to watch mm-hmm. that Flash movie. Am I then going to have to watch Aquaman because Aquaman's in the Flash movie? Am I then going to have to do that? And then am I going to you know? And it's like bloody exhausting watching anything nowadays because <laughs> it's all connected. You know, you watch the new Star Wars and it's like, right, when when's this one set? You need a fucking timeline to go, oh, well, Obi-Wan set after the third of the trilogy, uh, the second trilogy, which was the original trilogy, but then it's set before the the first film, which was actually the fourth film, and it's set before the Mandalorian series, but the Mandalorian's going to be... And then it's... And it's just... Just make the films in order, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> it's it's like yeah, I really have to be invested to be a fan in anything, and so that's why it's so so great when something unique and fun comes out, or something that doesn't that's its own thing have to take itself too seriously, or or or, or just is itself for the sake of being itself. Yeah. You know, there's not going to be a. I know they've done the occasional like Futurama Simpsons crossover episodes and Futurama Family Guy Simpsons crossover episodes, and they're just a bit of fun. But everyone wants an extended universe, and everyone wants a, a, a. And I don't think anyone wants it. I think executives are just what seeing how well Marvel's doing and gone that for everything. Let's no. let's do let's do that, but for everything. I saw this morning they've done a Beavis and Butthead multiverse movie, and I was like, yes. <laughs> What is that? What? <laughs> like, that's so not what Beavis and Butthead's vibe was, like, at all. It was yeah. so based in a completely, like, boring real world setting. Like, it was so not a sci fi concept whatsoever. And I was like, I guess, I yeah. mean, it, that could be very funny, or, or it could just be sort of a desperate misstep. I don't know. We'll, time will tell, I suppose. But I just, yeah, I just randomly saw this clip this morning. It was like, oh, okay, A, Beavis and Butthead are back and making movies. All right. But there's this type of movie. Oh, not what I was expecting. Well, you, you can hope that they view it in the same way as us, and it's a pastiche on this kind of sprawling world of entertainment that we now have in front of us that it's just becomes too exhausting yeah. to actually engage in because because you have to be invested you know it's i don't want to be invested i just want to watch something i just want to yeah. I just want to you know and speaking of like spin-offs of spin-offs of spin-offs did you see the poster for slipping jimmy uh no this no is- no tell me what you think slipping jimmy is first <laughs> slipping jimmy is better call Saul, right that's his his Monica as a yeah. um, 
uh, Huckster from Breaking Bad. Yeah, obviously. There's a there's the release. Let me find it for you. I, by the way, I am I am not resentful of having an animation podcast, but I there are times when I really wish I had a podcast that just talked about like other TV because I would really love to just talk <laughs> about Medical Soul for a while. Yeah, that has left me hanging. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so they've made a TV series, but it's Starburns Industries, which you know I, I quite like. They did the original uh, Rick and Morty. They've done, uh, I think they did uh, Moral Laurel, and they did um, uh, you know segments for Community and things like that. They they do some good stuff, and obviously they did um, Mona Lisa. But yeah, they've made a. It's like an exclusive digital thing for AMC, I think, and um, it's six six episodes of the show but it's done in this have you found it better call soul presents slip and jimmy limited series teaser i have found ah okay it's like but it's like an animated it looks like an animated series exactly yeah you've, you've, of, you've got of it. jimmy mcgill i guess what annoys me most about this i've only seen you know seen, seen the posters and things like this is that how how dull it all looks how sort of you know staccato and broken the animation looks and how kind of every every kind of character looks like it's just from a uh you're looking at an asset library I'm, exactly i'm looking Very, at a spinning yeah. rolodex of assets just in front of me and and just the same kind of animations being popped on front of uh, uh on on front of uh, yeah the characters are looking at each other and it's the same the same stuff from the same library it's just incredibly kind of I don't want to say lazy because I know a lot of effort's gone into this. Nothing, nothing's free in animation. Nothing's, nothing's cheap in animation. Nothing's uh, easy in animation. But to make it look like this, it must, you know, these decisions have been taken that have made it look like this, yeah. and they're all the wrong decisions, <laughs> so far as I'm concerned. It's interesting. I completely get your point about the dullness of it. Um, yeah. There's nothing about this. I'm watching the one that's like a sort of it's they're in the street with the snowballs. Yeah, and look at how the characters are moving. The twinning. There's so much twinning going on. I'd never I would never watch this based on this clip. Yeah. There's nothing captivating about it. I what an odd thing to have done. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm not sure what to make of it. It's certainly not something that has been a big part of medical souls marketing materials as far as i know because i've been getting a lot of like the social media stuff with the new season i, I yeah I'll, I'll look into this because i'm sort of interested i doubt it'll be that good <laughs> <laughs> but um i'm sort of fascinated from is this a marketing thing is it actually something they're trying to get going it's so at odds with everything else that has been part of an extended breaking bad like supplemental universe yeah because they've done little bits of short-form content to kind of flesh out the world a little bit of those two shows. But I, this doesn't really slot in anywhere, as far as I can see. Yeah, every image from the show that you see, every every picture, every poster, every kind of... It just looks like... It, it looks like a character turnaround. It just looks like a, a very flat... And the way the animation, there's, like I said, there's twinning. There's, you know, both hands moving at exactly the same pace. And it just... It just kind of what I would have ex- expected, probably more from from a show like Medical Soul. A big part of um, 
you know, the character's marketing in-universe, his, his branding and his uh, how he presents himself, is through these very, like, uh, you know, low-effort, chroma-key, shitty commercials that are very, very on-point representations of what those types of, you know, ambulance chaser, lawyer, dickheads, yeah. how they represent themselves. And sometimes, you know, they have really shitty animation. Now, I could see, like, the people who do Medical Soul putting together some commercials like this <laughs> that would be really funny and use animation in that way. Um, you know, really bad li- animation slash live action interaction, that kind of thing. Because that's exactly the kind of thing he would come up with. It's sort of a recurring thing with his character. He makes these these dreadful commercials yeah. that prestigious law firms that he will occasionally be involved with are like aghast at because they so cheapen what it is that the service they provide mm. but it's perfect for you know him and the clientele that he is after but yeah i'm 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 a little confused by what it seems to be a completely sort of separate like animated spin-off in reference to something like one of the, the stories that his beleaguered brother would tell about when they were kids and he would uh, grift people and that was his nickname was slipping jimmy Odd. That was so great, though. The stuff they had with the brother character in Better Call Saul. Mm. Oh, what a prick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's so good. Anyway, animation. Bob's Burgers. (laughs) No, no, no. We're going to talk about uh, Breaking Bad. The the seal has been opened. Oh, no. What have I done? (laughs) Well, in the meantime, uh, Bob's Burgers out in cinemas now. If you like Bob's Burgers, the show, you'll dig the film. Uh, Shall we hear from the people who brought... Bob's Burgers to the big screen. We have an interview conducted by Laura Beth Cowley here with creator slash director Lauren Bouchard, co-director slash animator Bernard Derryman, and writer slash producer Nora Smith. And uh, yeah, they're talking about Bob's Burgers the movie, uh, or the Bob's Burgers movie, as my press notes inform me. Uh, shall we hear from them? Let's. So the show has such a strong and dedicated fan base. What is it do you think that has made the show so successful? Which is quite a big question, I realize. Well, I don't like to I don't like to think of it as successful. <laughs> Just because it freaks it, you know, I think if, if we think about it too much, then it uh makes us like get all in our heads and we can't just write good stories. But I, every time I see, like, I think sometimes I honestly think this is going on a tangent. I think the fans, some of the fans are more interesting people than um, definitely I am. (laughs) So it's like just the fact that they like dress up and they sew these costumes and stuff. Like, like we, you know, had the premiere and a bunch of fans came out and I was just like, Oh my gosh, you are living life so much better than me, but I'm so happy I can like write something that you like. Cause you're an incredible person. But anyway, I to me, like the reason I'm a fan of the show is most, I mean, not mostly, but one of the big reasons is the cast. Like I, we, you know, when we, we record them together a lot, we don't always get to, especially during COVID, but I could sit in the record booth and just watch, the, listen to them talk to each other forever. And so I think that comes across like this cast that they've known each other forever. They've worked with each other forever. So they basically are a family. And when you're in, the company of a family that you can tell loves each other. I feel like you feel loved. So I think that carries across. Um, I mean, that at least that's what works on me. <laughs> so could you tell me a little bit about how you developed each of the character and which of each of the characters you identify with most mm. as individuals? 
The I'll take the first part first. The the um, characters we we fit them to the actors. You know, we cast first, and and really thought about the characters in relation to the voice that was going to be uh, coming out of their mouths. It was um, it was a great trick. <laughs> we jumped ahead, you know, light years in terms of um, writing. You could write a more uh, hopefully fleshed out character when you already knew who was going to be um, giving them giving them their voice and and you already knew something about about who they were what kind of things they they say uh you can you can cheat a little um and that's that's just a good trick that's uh, for anyone out there who's developing uh, an animated idea cast first and you will find um your characters uh jump right off the page the the as far as identifying with the characters um I, speaking for me it switches all the time i'm i am you know bob in the morning when i wake up and then somewhere during the day i become all of the other characters uh, at least once if not several times and i like to think at the end of the day after i've had a glass of wine i'm linda <laughs> i do like how the characters are like uh i'm saying this as if i I have no idea how this happened, but I like how the characters are kind of are different parts of your, I don't know all the brain terms, ids or whatever, like it is one thing. This is not correct, but like the uh, different facets of your a, a human personality. I personally am a Bob, wish I was a Linda. I, that, Linda's my favorite character, but I'm not like, I am the opposite of her, but I, I love her dearly, her optimism. Yeah, I I have to say I I especially after seeing the movie, I realized how how much I am like Bob, and actually my wife is a lot like Linda. I think she runs around. I feel like our whole family are a lot of Bobs, and and she's, <laughs> she's like having to pick us all up constantly, you know. Um, and so she's sort of uh, yeah, it's it's a I think it's it's probably more of a grind for her than it is for Linda. It's very, um, but yeah, I, I definitely resonate with Bob. I think the most I'm also, I'm also about his age now. And I say, Oh God, a lot. And <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I think I'm a Louise with Linda rising. <laughs> nice. Uh, so why did you feel that this was the right time to make a movie? Well, there's, there's no good time to make a movie or conversely, it's always a good time to make a movie. Uh, I would say um, we, we, we definitely um, wanted this to be um, something that people saw in theaters. And so in some ways it was not the right time to make a movie. Uh, when, when theaters were shut down, um, it was, it was alarming to those of us that were making a film. I'm sure everyone, out there who was doing that work uh, felt the same way. Um, but we really had this extra onus, which is we already made a TV show. It's already on your on your screens, in your house, in your living room. Um, and so we couldn't um, turn it into a, a streaming movie. We really had to wait. Uh, it had to come out in theaters when it was safe to come out in theaters. And so um, we're, you know, we're really, uh, big fans of movies also we love them we love the not just sitting in a the theater uh, though that is wonderful but also the form itself um it's a terrific storytelling form and it 
it is exciting uh, for a very good reason, which is something is going to fundamentally change for somebody in that story from the beginning to the end. And you know it, it's a deal you make when you go into a, a movie. Um, it has to happen. And with us, we wanted it to happen for all of our characters. Um, so it was, it was, it was time for us. Uh, it wasn't quite time for the world. Uh, and then it was. Great. On that, the, the film sort of interweaves multiple story threads, some of which, like you say, come from the series as well. How hard was it to combine all of those threads into one cohesive narrative? It was hard. I mean, it was, but it was something we knew that we always wanted to do. We didn't want any of our family characters to feel like they were just along for the ride. Um, and we liked the idea that each character was the hero of that, of the movie in their own, you know, in their own way and in their own head, uh, which is how it is in life. Um, so I think we just had to, you know, obviously trim some stuff down because it's a lot of storylines on the show we have an a plot and a b plot sometimes a c plot but never a d e f plot um so but it was a fun challenge to like have their emotional story also push forward just the overarching story and i think it just felt it always felt more satisfying when everybody got to have an emotional journey in our family Animation-wise, there's obviously a lot more scope for depth and cinematic spectacle in a feature film. How did that affect what you were able to do, both like narratively, visually, and through the individual performances of the characters? I, I, speaking visually, um, it was it was something we 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 really relished because we on the show we we would love to just spend so much more time on the show, and we just never have that opportunity because we're doing. 22 episodes a year. So we're just constantly churning through stuff. So we just don't get to spend that time. And, and with the movie, we not only did, you know, uh, have all the characters, the stakes were raised. So we had a, you know, you have a lot of emotional moments too in the movie, but then on top of, we just had, we had all this time to really finesse that. And, you know, we had some of our, the best artists from the show we're bringing over to work on the movie and, and then, you know, the three of us going going into the animation, we just constantly push it. And, you know, we were saying little on the show, you would have little little things like, you know, oh, can we can we make sure that when that person walks, he's walking in a straight line or whatever it else, you know, it's it's hard to animation's hard to do things like that. But here we were able to just get in there and say, let's lift that eyebrow up a little more. Let's, you know, let's make Louise look a little, a little more, you know, we don't want to look sad, but we want to, you know, so it was those kind of little subtle acting things that we were able to do where we had the, had the time and just keep going back in and really just get performances where we wanted them to, you know, where we wanted them to be, you know. Visually, it's spectacular. It's such a... Oh, thank it's, you. It very much keeps the world alive, but it's, it's just oomph. It's just extra oomph, isn't it? Well, that, that was the other thing too. We we really wanted to we wanted to make it part of the show. We didn't sort of want to do them in three D or or do anything where we re recreate the characters and and some different way so it felt different all of a sudden. So we we just took our characters from the show. We didn't sort of do anything to them where they're exactly like they are in the show. So hopefully 
it's you know it it looks prettier there's a you know the lighting and it's and it's uh i always like to think of it it's like it's the movie is just the same as the show but just a better lens better camera so you can you can see more you know that's uh that's whereas the tv shows it's a little blurrier which is very much similar to like live action filmmaking when you have like a tv series and it's just much nicer camera and much longer shots and just more cinematic and sexy (laughs) that's exactly right uh so music and musicals are of course synonymous to the show as well was there any differences or challenges in tackling the song specifically for the film over the series it it was um we were thinking about uh, music from the very beginning and we knew we were going to try and make it true to true to us which is to say these these um hopefully joyful songs that um, feel like they come right out of the show naturally and uh, um, could only come from the show. And, and that part we knew. And then what we, what we also wanted though, was, was to hear um, just all the way out to the edges of the, of the thing, you know, go as big as we could with the sound without um, losing that, that sort of perhaps childlike innocence that we, sometimes have in our music um so we had we had you know horns in there and we we purposely um arranged the songs right from the very beginning with with brass and woodwinds um so that we could really remind ourselves that it wasn't just a ukulele uh and a piano it wasn't just those instruments that have served us so well on tv because those are small those are intimate and and that's and it's great to start the show with a little instrument because it speaks to the show the show is is telling you right from the beginning it's a fragile little thing and this restaurant you know may not survive and here's this little fragile little instrument playing the first few notes but we didn't want that for the feature. We wanted the opposite. We wanted people to feel like they were on the runway of a great story that was lifting off. And so we wanted all those strings and timpanies and every um, orchestral sound we could we could squeeze in. Uh, and on top of that, we wanted dancing. We do dancing on the series um, uh, when we can, but it's it's it is time consuming and it is it is hard to get right. Um, Bernard is incredibly talented at it, and so in some ways we this was a sandbox and we were turning him loose to play giving him the time to to draw um dancing in the way that we we knew we could do if we just had the time and the space on screen fantastic um so you produced like you mentioned you produced quite a lot of the film during COVID. how did this like affect you and the crew overall i think um Luckily, uh, animation-wise, it, 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 we didn't really miss a beat. We were very fortunate. We, um, our producer Janelle Momery was she. She was like when when it, when all the shit was going down. She basically said to everyone, "We all went home," and then she was like, "Everyone, come in, pick up your computers on Friday." We had ten-minute windows. Everyone had to come in, grab your stuff, run out. It was kind of crazy. And then, but the very next day, works day, we were, we were just sort of going back to normal. And it, it was weirdly felt like we'd been doing it forever. You know, it was sort of like, it was very odd, except we got to look inside everyone's bedrooms. I like to think that like for animate, because I come from an animation background as well as we've been rehearsing for COVID for our entire careers. So we're, we're all perfectly fine with it. If anything, we prefer it. Right. <laughs> Staying home, not so bad. 
yeah so good <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um so do you think you'll do another bob's burgers film again in the future we would love the opportunity i you know who knows who knows how it's going to do commercially and um and certainly uh, we won't do it unless we have the right story um but i can say this making the bob's movie was a pleasure from the beginning to the end and every little moment in between and we'd have to be crazy not to want to um experience that again it, it's it's a real uh it's an honor and it is such a good time and if you ever wanted to conclude the show if the show was ever to be finished do you have any ideas as to what might happen to any of the characters in the end? I know we all want for them to be happy and successful. Um, for sure, uh, you know, to the extent that we're optimists, I think we're all optimistic um, about uh, what's likely to happen to these characters. Um, but we also, I think, want to honor the moment that, that this this story is, is about a restaurant that is on the edge of failure. It is on the edge of success too, um, but it's on the edge regardless. And in a way, the second we start thinking past that moment, I don't think we'll write as well. So you really have to sit with it. You have to like stay there. This moment, this time, this, uh, and, and for the kids too, a fourth grader, a sixth grader, and an eighth grader, uh, if you start aging them up, up in your head, you might start losing um, some of the grounding that we need. We need to remember their ages. And so in, in a lot of ways, we don't go there. We, we kind of resist the urge. It's kind of like you have to have faith. It's like faith. Like you have to have faith. That and the movie is, of course, a lot about optimism and we try to tell a story where it's actually mathematically maybe better to be an optimist, which is hard for me as a pessimist to hear. Um, but if you just see, like, see it worked out in the end, like, I feel like you lose the faith aspect of it that you just gotta, you know, have faith that being hopeful is going to have this energy that takes you there, you know, one way or the other. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, because there's not, and also success isn't necessarily going to come in the form that you expect, you know, if you're Bob or anybody. It's, so that's the other thing is that you, being an optimist means knowing it'll work out somehow, even if it doesn't work out the way you hoped. Happy pessimism is, is what we call it. <laughs> yeah. Happy pessimism. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all your time and thank you so much for making such a wonderful comforting show thank you thank you, thank you. have a good day See ya. Thanks. Bye. thank you to lauren bouchard bernard derryman and nora smith for talking to us about the bob's burgers movie uh, out in cinemas now and i'm sure it will be streaming shortly if you can't make it to uh, a cinema in the immediate future wonderful stuff right on well i think we have uh effectively put the world to rights in our inimitable way we told them we certainly did thank you for listening uh, for 10 years if you've been listening yeah 10 years of perseverance yeah never quite cracked virality <laughs> but uh, it was good fun all the same uh, i think we'll probably keep going at least for the next little while yeah if not the next 10 years but uh, yeah always a pleasure well, I, uh, I shan't be in Annecy. Alas, uh, we're going to glamorous Middlesbrough 
for the Society for Animation Studies conference, uh, and that'll be um, uh, our big summer vacation. Nice. Um, <laughs> Well, well, we'll we'll have a, a little vacation on the tail end of that. Annecy will be blessed with uh, me and Laura Beth's presence next year, but I believe you and Aaron will both be there. Sure, uh, hand in hand, skipping down the uh, the old town. Me and Aaron. Uh, you might even pop into Captain Pub. I dare say we certainly I mean, will. I'm not going to hold you to it, but it's it's been known in the past. <laughs> so people people can come up and and. Uh, you know, uh, congratulate you in person for ten years of podcasting. Yeah, service. Exactly, and I'll take your congratulations too in the form of a nice single malt. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, thank, thanks everyone for listening for the last uh, ten years or the last ten minutes, or if you've got this far, well done. Um, it's 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 a genuine pleasure to be able to you know uh, occasionally interact with the listeners and obviously uh, to to share the animation news and uh, it's always nice chatting with you as well, mate. It's always fantastic uh, to put the animation world to rights and uh, long may it continue. Uh, or until we get bored indeed indeed <laughs> uh, obviously this is a uh, completely uh, free podcast so if anyone wants to to give us a 10th anniversary present just tell your friends about the podcast share the share the podcast uh, you know tweet about us or something like that um, is twitter still a thing do a tiktok do a ticky tacky what's it do a tick do a ticky tock kids <laughs> um, uh, but yeah spread the news about the podcast if you will get in touch and live long and prosper i don't know even better as this is a free podcast you could give us some money you could uh go to squiggly.co.uk slash donate dash support dash squiggly that's been always on the site we never bring it up which is probably dumb of us yeah scroll but, down to the uh, bottom of the site yeah. there's a button covered in dust <laughs> which no one's ever pressed <laughs> It's uh, it's right down the bomb. I haven't watched the news in the last hundred or so days, but I'm pretty sure it's the best use of any funds you might have to dispose of at this present political moment. So, you know. Uh, uh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. Why not? Why not shovel your money into the squiggly bank account? We'll use it well. Yeah, maybe I can invest in a new microphone. I've had this one 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could only use this microphone on the four-channel setting, and I have to point it a certain way <laughs> and then extract one of the channels because every other channel is uh, full of glitches and buzzy sounds. <laughs> so for God's sake, we're hanging on by a thread. We pulled our pockets inside out, and we go, no, give us the money. Moths are flying out of our wallets. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, one last plug for me, uh, Manchester Animation Festival's call for entries is now open. So if you've got a short film, a student film, a commissioned film, an immersive film or a feature film, you can enter there, any of those for free via our website, manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. We also have our Industry Excellence Awards and we're accepting nominations for storyboarding, script writing, character design or character animation. We're particularly proud of those awards because they highlight the individual. So you can nominate yourself, we can nominate a colleague for free. You can submit, as I've said, for free via our website, manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk and the deadline is Friday the 29th of July 2022. Manchester Animation Festival itself returns on the 13th right the way through to the 18th of November this year. Uh, so yeah, follow us on our website and social media and all that sort of stuff as well, at MCR Animation. Uh, and I look forward to seeing the entries coming in. Until next time, uh, you can check out Squiggly at squiggly.co.uk and of course we're on test social medias 
uh, on Twitter at Squiggly, on Instagram at Squiggly Animation, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. Check us out. There's lots more goodness to come. And uh, as I mentioned before, there'll probably be a bit of a, a coverage surge in and around Annecy, and you won't want to miss it. Some wonderful news about wonderful films and wonderful insights. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, yeah. Sounds wonderful. Keep your eyes open. Until next time, everybody, happy animating. Bye-bye.